0: Uh, this series, man, I'm so thankful for this this word that God has put in our church, how to love like you've never been hurt. We've already heard so many great testimonies of people being set free and what God is doing, the, the work that God is doing in families and restoration coming, and And I, I'm so excited to be able to, to share this uh, this sermon. Um, And and next Saturday, we we announced the Serve 24. Man, that is a life-changing experience. If you have never uh, done that type of serving in the community, this is such a special opportunity. It will change your life. Uh, Doing these types of outreaches when I was in Los Angeles, California, is what changed my life from being a a selfish 22-year-old, college kid who only cared about himself and his own dreams. And then all of a sudden I learned what it was like to serve others and what it was like to go to Skid Row in Los Angeles and and be able to serve meals and pray for people that were literally down to nothing. And to see the hope come in their eyes through the power of Jesus Christ. And that changed my life and it will change your life too. If you haven't signed up for Serve 24, do that now. Um, I know, uh, they, I love the one with the free hugs, right? Free hugs t-shirt. Uh, Joe Responti is going to be leading that outreach. Really excited to uh, be a part of that Joe. Um, and uh, you get your own uh, shirt for that. Uh, so that's going to be exciting next Saturday. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to be uh, doing part three of this series. This will probably be my favorite part in this series on how to love like you've never been hurt. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read a few verses of Jesus. This is moments before he is going to be uh, tried, before Herod and Pontius Pilate, moments before he's um, scourged, moments before he's nailed to a cross, and he's in the garden. He's under so much tension, so much pressure. You think you know what it's like to be under pressure. Jesus knows exactly what's that, what that is like, and uh, this is the moment that the words that describe what he's going through in the garden of Gethsemane. It says, Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Even Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. So you don't ever have to feel guilty about being troubled in your mind or feeling sorrowful in your, in your heart. Jesus felt the same way. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, I don't want to have to go through with this. I could justify not having to go through with this. May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, as I desire, but as you desire and will for my life. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 47. While he was still there speaking, Judas, one of the 12, one of his followers, getting ready to betray him, getting ready to turn him over to people that are going to kill him and beat him and embarrass him and punish him. There was a large crowd with Judas, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him, Judas said. Going at once to Jesus, Judas says, greetings, rabbi. I'm sure with a cunning smile, that smile that we've probably all seen before, before somebody stabs us in the back or deceives us. And we've we've all experienced that to some degree. And he kisses him, and Jesus replies, do what you came here for, friend. Then the men step forward, seize Jesus, arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, of course, it's Simon Peter, bold, brute. Simon Peter drew out, pulled his sword out, and cut the priest's ear right off. I wonder if he missed or if he was aiming for the ear. Probably missed knowing Simon Peter. And, And then verse 52, Jesus says to him, Put your sword away, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword verse 53, point of emphasis here. Jesus says, do you not think that I could call on my father and at once he'll get me out of this situation? At once he'll put a legion, 12 legions of angels to to wipe out the Roman soldiers. I could justify it. I could make that happen if I wanted to. I would be right in doing so. But that is not what God wills. I must do this so the scripture may be fulfilled. And then a couple more verses of scripture. Luke chapter 23. Now Jesus is, is on the cross and he's been scourged. He's been beaten. He's carried the cross to Golgotha. Verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the other two criminals. One on his left and one on his right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I would argue with Jesus. They know exactly what they're doing but they don't realize who they're doing it to. The people stood watching, and rulers even sneered at him and said, He saved others. Why can't he save himself if he's God, the Messiah, the Chosen One? Prove yourself, Jesus. Soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Prove it. Then even one of the criminals hanging next to him started insulting Jesus. He was getting in on the action too. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But then the criminal on the other side says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. I want to talk to you on the subject of the temptation of justification the temptation of justification. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you are here with us now, Father. And I pray that as the words come out of my mouth, that they will go into the hearts of everyone who is listening, Lord God that you will be able to speak to whatever we are facing in our life, whatever hate we're facing, whatever unforgiveness we are dealing with, whether it's a family member, whether it's a co-worker, whether it is a friend, whatever we are going through in our relationships right now, Lord God, I pray, Father, that your word will set us free, Lord God, the same way that you said in John chapter 8, who the Son sets free is free indeed, Lord God. I pray that that will come to pass this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, the temptation of justification. Justification is something we deal with every single day. We justify our stupid decisions. Yup. Anyone ever done that one before? You have kids. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I I was trying to come up with, you know, you know me, I like to come up with stories to try and relate to let you know I deal with the same stuff you guys deal with. And uh, it was was about three weeks ago during the summer, I love to take my kids to Jenkinson's Boardwalk. Any parents love Jenkinson's Boardwalk? It's awesome. I prefer going there on a weekday. A little, little crazy on the weekends, but uh, during the weekdays, uh, we love it. We go there. We have a, a few people from the church that work there. We go, we get a coffee, we hang out, and then we go to the arcades. And we were so excited. It was about three weeks ago. We're walking over to the rides from uh, Jenkinson's Cafe, and uh, out of the corner of Lily's eye, Lily's my daughter. She's six years old. She sees uh, one of her favorite games called Road Crossy and Road Crossy uh, is is a game that we have at home. We play it on the uh, Amazon Prime, and uh, truth be told, I dominate Road Crossy. My kids may say that they're better than me, but I will dominate them any day of the week, and so when we saw Road Crossy, that there was a giant arcade game of Road Crossy, like me, Judah, Lily, we go beeline right to Road Crossy. We had to go, we had to get our tickets. I got like a certain amount of tickets on the card. That I got one for Lily, one for Judah, one for myself, $10 each, and so we got $30, and so Diamond's just kind of, you know, she's skeptical at first because she's like, this is stupid. I don't like road crossing. I want to go ride the rides. My wife loves the ride. She loves the the teacups. My God, I went on the teacups one time two weeks ago. I, I, I couldn't eat a thing for like three days. That like just tore me up from the floor. It is amazing. I feel like when you're a kid, you have like No equilibrium in your head. Like these kids can spin around all day. I can't even spin around. I can't even look at them on the teacups. I get dizzy. And and so diamonds like love it. She's like, "We got to go to the rides." But no, we got road crossing. And so we start uh, banging out road crossing. And then all of a sudden, we realize that we are dominating road crossing. And there's a high score. and and Pastor Isaac is is so close to the high score every single time. I'm getting right there. It's like 250, and I'm going to like 230 every single time. Tickets are just coming out, coming out, and I know I could get that high score. I want my name on the top of Road Crossy, so the whole Jersey Shore can see Pastor Isaac Friedel, SCC, at the top of the mountain, Jenkinson's Boardwalk, Road Crossy. I mean, it's advertisement, right? And we justify these things, right? And and so I'm like, all give me another card. Give me another $10 card. And so I get there, and and there's one time I'm I'm jumping. I'm jumping. I'm jumping from log to log. I'm dodging traffic. I'm like this little chicken guy, and you're going in between traffic. And then I'm at at 225. I'm at 235. I'm almost there. And then I I tell you the truth, the game froze at 240. I'm 10 away. And I'm like on one lily pad and i got water in front of me, i got a car coming at me. I'm like, this is terrible. This is the judgment of the Lord. There's a demon in in road crossing right now. Like, what is happening? And and so I'm panicked. I'm like, what do I do? Do I get a manager? No, I don't want to get a manager because if it unfreezes, I'm going to die. So I stand right there for like five minutes straight. Kids are on the edge of their seat. Diamond has the cell phone out. Now Diamond's into it. She was skeptical at first. She didn't realize how i dominate road crossing. And now she's into it. And then all of a sudden, it unfreezes. I do this amazing move. I jump over one car. I jump on a lily pad. And I get two, five, seven. High score, Pastor Isaac Friedel on road crossing. All of a sudden, tickets are just pouring out, pouring out. I'm like in heaven, you know. This is like, I guess this is like a gamblers like feel. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. Just pouring out. I'm like, can't, can't wait to cash them in, kids. I'm going to get you whatever you want. I got 45,000 tickets. And, and I get there. I realize the only thing 45,000 tickets gets you at Jenkinson's Boardwalk is a, is a horse crab magnet that Lily wanted. Uh, we, we we do have a picture of it somewhere, and so I pay forty bucks for whatever in the world that is. It's a seahorse. Sea whatever, yes, yeah, seahorse. Thank you for correcting me. But look how happy my kids are. Look how happy they are. I mean, I had to take a second mortgage out to go to Disney World. But look how happy my kids are. I go to Diamond. and she says, that's great. How much did you spend? It's like 40 bucks. But I had just memories with my children. We justify everything, don't we? And we are so good at it. We justify why we get so angry. We justify why we have all these secret sins in our life because we've been through so much. We justify our attitude. We justify the fact that, that, that we can't do this or, or maybe I, I can't exercise because I, I I've I, I have a, this, this happened to me 10 years ago. We justify so much and we make excuses for ourselves and So often that becomes one of the biggest roadblocks of our progress is our justification of our stagnation. The justification of our laziness. The justification of why we spend so much money. I deserve it. Do you see how hard I work? We work all day long, men. And you come home and you just lay on your couch and you got the most beautiful woman in the world right there. And you say, oh, I'm so tired. I worked so hard today making money to pay for this mortgage. You need to wake your attitude up and be as active at home as you are at work. And stop justifying your stagnation. We're so good at this. Justify why we can't get ahead. And then this is what we say. and, And a lot of these are real excuses and reasons. So I don't want to minimize them. But I want you to understand that God is greater than your excuses. God is greater than your past. God is greater than what was done to you 25 years ago. But we say, if you knew, Pastor Isaac, what I went through when I was a child, the upbringing that I was in, uh, the abuse that I had to deal with, you would understand why I am so closed off. You would understand why I am such an angry person, why I'm such a spiteful person. Because if you knew what I went through, we justify it. One of the things that we justify the best is our unforgiveness. It is like clockwork. Every time I preach on this topic, I have at least 10 to 15 people come up to me after every service and say, Pastor Isaac, you have no idea what was done to me. I can't forgive. If you knew, Pastor Isaac... And I don't, and I'll never know. But God knows, and Jesus knows. And Jesus says that the greatest temptation that you will have is justification. The greatest roadblock that you will face is to justify your unforgiveness. But if you could learn how to overcome that and how to forgive even though they didn't deserve it, even though you could justify your wrath and your vengeance. There is a blessing, Ephesians 3, verse 20, that will come on your life, that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can ask or imagine. That's the kind of blessing that can be bestowed in your life. I read you a passage when we started on, on Jesus and how he's, he's at the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We always think the greatest temptation of Jesus when he was being tempted by the devil 40 days and 40 nights in the desert after his baptism, that's called the great temptation. I believe that this is the greatest temptation that Jesus ever went through. Was When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was about to happen. He knew the pain that he was about to feel. That he was going to be betrayed. That he was going to be spit on. That he was going to be nailed to a cross. That he was going to die for people who were never even going to receive the grace that he freely wants to give them. He was getting ready to sacrifice for people that would reject him. People that would curse him. People that would spit on him. He was about to do all that. But this was the greatest temptation that Jesus had I believe. Is that he could have so easily justified not doing it. When he said to to Peter, Peter takes out his sword. Cuts the dude's ear off. And Jesus said, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. The sword represents your vengeance, your wrath. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to even the score. I'm going to get back. If you live that way, then you're going to die that way. And Jesus said to Peter, don't you know that I could call down 12 legions of angels, 12 uh, in in the Roman Empire represents 6,500. Jesus could have called down 75,000 angels to wipe out every single Roman soldier, everyone that was putting the nails in his hands, whipping him, cursing him. In one moment, he could have wiped them all out. And he would have been justified by doing so. Because Moses says, an eye for an eye. They sin, they deserve judgment. He could have gotten out of it in a moment. He could have justified it. These people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice for them. Even my own disciples turned their backs on me when I needed They betrayed me. They knew me. They saw me do miracles. And they turned their back on me. I'm going to even the score with them. I'll get them back. But Jesus, in spite of all this pressure, says, God, it's possible for me to get out of this. But not my will. Not my feelings. Not what I want to do be done, but God, I want your will to be done. And when he did that, he released the greatest blessing, the greatest harvest that this world has ever seen. 2,000 years later, we still talk about it like it happened yesterday. It has consumed the entire world. Why? Because of one man who could have justified his unforgiveness said, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that is our greatest temptation. I wrote it down like this. Our greatest temptations come in the face of our greatest justifications. Where you could justify getting them back. You could justify even, I mean, people, people would encourage you to do so. People would say, get them. People would say it's about time you stood up for yourself. People would say it's about time you evened up the score, all they put you through. It's your time to to get them back. It's your time to make them pay. It's your time to make them feel the way you feel. And people and the world will tell you it's okay. If they play dirty, you play dirty. I heard someone say once, I love it. If all you're doing is throwing mud, then you're just losing ground. And yet, we see this world that we live in, it's all about getting even. But the Bible teaches a different strategy. I just want to give three examples of three people in the Bible, and then I'm going to close. This may be one of the shorter messages I preach. Uh, But I thought of this guy in the Bible, his name was was Joseph. And Joseph in the Bible, he was 18 years old. His brothers, they, they took him. They, they beat him. They sold him into, into human trafficking. They, they, they beat, this wasn't outsiders. This was family. Something about family that just like, like hurts more when family does it. When, when it's somebody where you're like, you're supposed to be nice to me. You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to protect me. And then, then when that person abandons you, man, it just cuts deep. Joseph gets that. Joseph went through that. It wasn't outsiders. It was his own family that sent him to another country, sent him to Egypt. When he was in Egypt, he was lied on there. He was thrown in prison unjustly. He had a a baker and a butler that said that they were going to help him, and yet they lied to his face. But that was not the greatest temptation, the greatest trial that Joseph ever faced. The greatest moment and temptation that Joseph ever had was when he had the power to get them back. Because 20 years later, Joseph has now been promoted to the prince of Egypt, and now he's in control of all of the food supply in all of the known world, and his family, his brothers, they think he's dead. They think that he's gone, and now they come to Egypt in order to get food to save their family, and while they're there, guess who they have to stand before? They have to stand before Joseph, and Joseph is disguised. Joseph, they can't recognize him. It's been 20 years, and looks at them with the power and the authority to have them beaten, to have them executed, to to do to them what they did to him. And in this moment, Joseph is broken, but in this moment, Joseph has an incredible revelation that I have to love like I've never been hurt. And Joseph looks at him. This is the test. If you can pass this test, then God can open up the windows of heaven in your life. And Joseph looked at his brothers and said it's me. Joseph takes his disguise off, takes his, you know, fake goatee, mascara off. Looks at him and says, "It's me, Joseph." And the brothers were terrified. Brothers like, "Oh my God, don't kill us, Joseph, because that's what they would have done to him." But just because they would have done it to you, you're a Christian, you have Jesus in you. You're supposed to be different. Joseph looks at him and says, "Don't be afraid." Don't be scared because God used everything that you meant to kill me with, to hurt me with, for his glory, for the saving of many lives. And with his mouth, he loved like he's never been hurt. And because of that, his whole family was restored. I thought about, secondly, this guy in the Bible, his name is David. David in the Bible was rejected by his own father when the prophet came to visit. David wasn't even invited to the party. We always think that David's greatest temptation was UFOs. (laughs) Unclothed female objects. But it wasn't. We all think it was Bathsheba. You know, naked lady taking a bath, and, and, and David messes up and, and, and commits adultery and murder. No, no, no. That was his greatest sin. That was his greatest failure. But his greatest temptation was years earlier. After David had killed Goliath, after David had uh, be- become a national hero, they were writing songs about him. And all of a sudden, this, this king, Saul, Saul uh, at first embraced David, at first invited David to play the harp for him because it would soothe his spirit. He was best friends with David. David married Saul's own daughter, but in a fit of jealousy and envy, Saul turned on David, threw a spear at David, tried to kill David, kicked him out of his own house, turned people on David. David had to live in caves because of this man Saul. Saul had unjustly persecuted him. Saul had done horrible things to David and to his family, and now David David is on the run, and Saul is trying to kill him for no reason. Anyone ever been after you, and you're like, I don't even know why they're after me. I don't even know why they hate me so much. This is what David's like. I didn't even do anything to you. I helped you. I helped you save a nation, and yet Saul is after him. And then there's this crazy scene where uh, you read it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, where Saul is with his armies hunting down David. Hunting, hunting him down to do what? make up with him. No, to kill him. And Saul has to go number one or number two. We're not sure what it was, but it just says he had to relieve himself. And he didn't want any of his bodyguards to come with him. He wanted some privacy. So so Saul goes in this cave. Saul didn't realize that this is the cave where David and his mighty men were, were holding fort. And David had some bad dudes he was rolling with. He had these guys, their name were Abishai and Joab. These were, were, were vicious killers. They were mighty, mighty men. When they spit, the grass just died. Bad dudes. And they're in the cave. And then Saul comes in that cave to go to the bathroom. And there's David and his mighty men waiting, waiting for him. David could have justified killing Saul in that moment. This man's trying to kill me. If I don't kill him, he's going to kill me. And this is crazy. His own men, Abishai, uses scripture to try and justify him taking vengeance out in Saul. He says, he says thus saith the Lord, he will deliver thine enemies unto you. It's amazing how we could even use scripture to twist and justify our will our vengeance our wrath going after somebody who wronged us even the the other guy joab said this is the prophecy of the lord you're supposed to be king you're anointed king all you have to do is cut his head off we'll be in jerusalem by evening and david was conflicted but it's amazing when you are a man or a woman after god's own heart scripture will just come up in your spirit in these moments And in this moment, a scripture came to David's heart where he said, Thou shalt not touch God's anointed. And he might not be acting anointed. He may not be acting like a son or daughter of the Most High. But it is God's job to judge. It is God's job to take vengeance out on this man. So I will not touch him. I will not take his life, even though it's so easy. But what is amazing is two chapters later, David is in the palace because Saul ended up taking his own life in battle. And his kingdom was blessed. He was the greatest king Israel has ever had because he passed the test of not justifying unforgiveness. And thirdly, I thought about this other guy in the Old Testament. His name was Job. Not Job, Job. That's how they used to pronounce it back in the day. And and, and Job was a man who loved God. He was a man who attended church regularly. Bible says that he offered sacrifices for his own children. He loved his family. He loved God. He was a, he was a tither. He was a servant. He, God said he was the, the most upstanding, rightful man in all of the world. And yet in one moment, Satan asked permission from God to tempt him. And God granted him that permission to show the world that just because things are great, doesn't mean that that's the only way people can worship God. People can worship God even when things are dark. And so Job, in one day, he loses all of his children. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. He loses his cattle. He loses everything. And one day, you read it, Job chapter 1, you think you had a bad day. This man was broken. This this is real. This is real for Job. And, And he's mourning. He is in torment. And you know that there is a voice in his head saying, God hates you. God is out to get you. You you need to just be mad at God. Take your wrath wrath out on God. Curse God with your mouth. Never praise God again. Never serve God one day of your life. Even people in his own family were saying, you need to get back at God. Curse God. That's what his wife said. Say, curse God and and die. Anyone ever say to you, you, you... you need to stand up for yourself more. Get them back. You'll be better for it. Be a man. You deserve it. Deserve to take it out on them. Man, we've all dealt with this. But Job was so amazing in this moment. You know that heaven was watching. You know that, that all the angels were watching with bated breath. What is Job going to do? And Job, in this amazing moment, cries out to God. Says, God... I love you. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And this was amazing. Job chapter 42, at the end of the the chapter, it says that because Job prayed for his enemies, because there were all these people that were cursing him, all of his friends uh, uh, turned on him, but Job prayed for those that turned on him. And the Bible says And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Joseph passed the test. David passed the test. Job passed the test. What are you trying to justify? What are you trying to settle? What scores are you trying to settle? This is real. This is hard. This is emotional. Even sometimes in marriage, and my wife's not here, so I could tell you guys. You know, there there, there are moments where we go through things, and and maybe Diamond really upset me in a moment. And I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to withhold love. I'm just going to give her the cold shoulder. Because then maybe she'll know that she's hurt me by me hurting. Am I Am I off? because I want them to know, I'm not going to say it, but I'm just going to, by my actions, by my stubbornness, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to make them hurt. I don't want to even see her happy, because I'm hurt, and I feel abandoned, and I feel unloved, so I want you to feel that same way. It's amazing what we justify. It's amazing. I, I hear even stories of People that, that use grandchildren won't even let the grandparents see the grandchildren because they're angry at the grandparents because of something that they did 10 years ago. So I'm going to use these kids as a manipulation tool to get you back for what you did to me. I'm tell, this is real stuff. I, I'm not even going to let you see your, your, your own grandkids, your own kids, your own brother. I'll, I'll use people as manipulation. Man. We have to love, learn to love like we've never been hurt. I mean, there, there, there's times even, even where you could justify cutting some out, someone out of a business deal. Where, where you, you could justify, man, I could use this money for my family. I could use it to send my kids to college. College is expensive. It's getting crazy out there. And, and I'm, I could cut a few corners and I could justify cutting somebody else out of this deal because I need to take care of me and my family. No, no. You need to trust God that when you follow his path and when you do what he has called you to do and are in his will, you may in in some moments get cut short or may not make as much money as you can, but in the long run, he'll double what you've gone through trouble for. And when you could learn to love like you've never been hurt. Somebody asked me last Sunday, I, I talked about, what forgiveness is not and I think I might have mentioned forgiveness is not forgetting what they've done to you. Um, Forgiveness is not many times like a crash test dummy where I'm going to get back in the car with you and let you hurt me over and over and over again. That's not what forgiveness is. We're going to talk about that next Sunday the final part of this series. We're going to talk about how to love a vampire. someone that wants to suck the blood out of you? How do you you hug a vampire? You know, and how to have boundaries, because that's important. But this is what forgiveness is to me. And this is when I know that I have forgiven somebody. Because it's amazing when you think you've forgiven somebody. I've forgiven them. And then you realize in that moment where you see them, or They say something again to you that you realize, I have not forgiven them. This is what I believe forgiveness is. How do you know you've forgiven them? When you have a chance to get them back and get even, and you have the power, but you don't. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I close with this story, worship team, you guys could come up. This is a, a story from my life when, when I really battled with this. This is hard. This is like, you know, this isn't a 101 Christianity message. This is upper level. This is pastor upper level. I remember in my life, uh, there was this man, and I'm going to say things because people have been in this church for a while, Joe Responti, to make sure that you don't know who this person is. Don't even try and think about who this person is. But there was a, a man who was part of this church for a long time. Very close with my family. We vacationed together. We grew up together with our families. And uh, very, very close with this man. And, and I remember it was over 10 years ago. Might have been 12, 13 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. Sometimes the, even the painful memories you remember just like they're yesterday. And I remember... Our family and our church was going through a very, very difficult time. And there were some people in our church that would come up to us and say these things like, I'm with you no matter what. I love you. No matter what you go through in your life, I love you. I'll be with you in every season. Even now, sometimes when I hear those promises, I get nervous. Because I, I remember the times that I've been let down by those promises. And I remember this man in particular. I'll, I'll never forget. It was this one Sunday. My father was preaching. And the worship team was singing this song, Stand By Me. Is that it? That's right. Yeah, Stand By Me. I remember this man. This is our family was going through really, really dark stuff. This man comes up in between me and my dad, puts his arms around us. As we're singing that song, kid you not, within about a month, that man not only left our church but began going to newspapers, writing blogs, lies about my father, personal things about my father, and I was so hurt. Our family was so hurt, but my hurt turned into anger. Anyone's hurt ever turned into anger? Like, I would, this is what I would do. I'd get on the bench press, and I'd think about that dude's face. Like, that was my motivation to lift heavy weights was homeboy's face. Anyone ever used a person for motivation like that before? I might even want, please, help me. Don't leave me up here all alone. You, know? <laughs> you just look at that face, and you just, you know, adrenaline just boils. You know, I'd hit a bag. I'd think about this guy's face, I'm, I'm, and I would rehearse what I would say to this dude when I would see him, how I would set it straight, how I would yell at him because I could yell. Did you know that? And I, I wanted him to feel my pain and know what he did to my family. And, and I would rehearse it and rehearse it. And I would think about it, what I would say. And I remember my dad, would, he did this series on forgiveness. And it began to soften my heart. Really did, began to soften my heart towards this man, and, and I thought I had forgiven him. But I, I was still trying to prove myself, even though I thought I forgave him. Anyone ever, someone says something really bad about you, you'll never, you're, you're just this, you're just that. This man uh, accused me of, of, of being like a fake pastor, your dad. The only reason why you're a pastor is because your dad made you a pastor. So I used to try and prove him wrong. Such bad motivation. But I feel like if I had to deal with that, sometimes you guys have to deal with it, where we want our success to try and prove other people wrong. And and even though I thought I had forgiven this guy, I I still had that motive in my heart. And then I'll never forget this moment. It was right after my father had passed away. dad died at age of 66. April the 18th and it was a sudden thing it really shook our church obviously and a lot of people knew my father he was a a man where so many people knew him knew his sermons and it was a dark time obviously I was emotionally distraught we wouldn't didn't sleep for like four or five nights me and my mom just stay up together just crying and then I'll never forget we had the the funeral ceremony at Calvary Lighthouse and beautiful ceremony. I, I had to get up there and speak. Joe Responti spoke. Rick Hankins spoke. It was an amazing ceremony. And at the end, you had to greet everybody that came through. There's over 1,000 people there, a lot of people. I was tired. And then I saw that man. I couldn't believe he showed up first time I saw his face in years and immediately anger just started thinking about what, what should I do and I, I could have gotten away with anything at that point it would have been justified I'm hurting my dad just died and now a guy that did this to my family's at the funeral like I could have and you would have understood right Sandy I mean if I even what if I punch him in the face we'd have understood that no, no, no. <laughs> but I could have justified almost anything. Get this guy out of here. How dare you show up here? Some of the things you said about my dad are probably the reason why he had a heart attack, distress you put him through. But I'm so thankful. I didn't do any of those things. And saw that guy. And he was crying. I gave him a big hug, and he he began saying these things to me. Your dad changed my life. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your dad was the greatest pastor I've ever known. He brought me to Jesus. And that moment, I learned how to love like I've never been hurt. And I believe the reason why God has blessed this church so much from that moment on is because we were able to pass the test of justification. Where we could have justified so much, but yet we chose to forgive. And God will do the same thing for you. Let's bow our heads right now. Lord. Lord, you know our hearts. God, you know the people that are in these chairs right now who, as I'm speaking, there is a face or faces that are coming up, and that face produces an emotion. God, I pray that you will be able to do the impossible in our heart. That you will give us the the strength to be able to forgive them, to, to not tr- take out vengeance on them, not even the score with them. But God, heal us. When a snake bites you, you don't chase after the snake. You go to the one that could, that could take the poison out of your veins. And God, so many of us, we're chasing after the snake and we're dying in the process. We're rotting because we're chasing the snake when we need to be chasing you. God, heal our broken hearts. We have been poisoned by pain, poisoned by abuse. And it's turned our hearts black. You are the God who will heal the brokenhearted and bind up our wounds, God. And we pray that you will do that this morning. Begin the healing process this morning. Give us the ability to love like we've never been hurt, Lord God. As crazy as that sounds, Lord God, the same way that you look at the people putting the nails in your hands and said, God, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, God. I pray, Lord, that that revelation will come inside of our hearts because if you are inside of us, then we are able to do even greater things than you did on this earth, Lord God. Through your Holy Spirit, we can love again. We can forgive again. We can see restoration come back in our life. We can see joy come back in our life. It doesn't minimize what was done to us, but it maximizes the grace that you have bestowed upon us if that's you if if as I'm preaching you, you feel an unction the Lord tugging on your heart I just want you to put your hand over your heart right now whatever that face is whatever that pain is God right now we turn it over to you vengeance is mine says the Lord I can't carry this brokenness any longer. God, heal my heart from the inside out. Set me free, God. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. I don't want to put myself in positions where I'm going to set myself up for failure, where I have to see this person, and, and, I, and I, didn't, I put myself in a, in a bad place. We don't want to do that, God, but there may, will be times where we're going to have to see this person again. And in those times, God, we need your grace to be able to not, not jump at them or not try to break them down with our words, try and manipulate them, Lord God, but we need to love like we've never been hurt. Father, help us. We need your grace. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap.